Well, good morning. My name is Nate. If we don't know each other, I would love to meet you at some point. I'll be in the lobby after the service. But today we are continuing the series that we've been in called Grace. And in this series, what, we're, what we've seen is that God's grace saves us from our sins and it trains us for good works. God's grace actually makes us new creations who do good works. And one of those good works that God's grace trains us for is generosity. And one of the things that I hope that you've seen in this series, if you've been with us, is that um, the grace of God has implications for all of life. There's no area of our lives that is not transformed by God's grace. And that includes our money. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And as I say that, I realize that money can be an uncomfortable subject. Um, If this is one of your first times here and maybe you struggle with organized religion as a whole, maybe this is actually one of the reasons that you struggle um, is you just think that we want your money. Um, And so we're just going to confirm all of your, you know, suspicions today. Um, We've Uh, Yeah, we've not done ourselves any favors in that regard if we're trying to persuade you otherwise. But um, I understand that. Um, And money can also be an uncomfortable subject for uh, anyone. Um, Whenever Courtney and I are doing uh, premarital counseling with a couple, one of the subjects that we always talk about is money. And even couples who love one another and think that they have the same vision for life and think they're on the same page about money... um, once you start actually talking about some of these things, it's like, oh, wait, we actually view this very differently. And I'm actually, I kind of like to keep this private for some reason. There's something about us that wants to, and so uh, money can be an uncomfortable subject. Um, and I understand that. But the reason that we have to talk about it is because one of the tests of whether or not we've tasted the grace of God is what we do with our money, how we use our money. And so today, what we're going to do is look at uh, the key text in the New Testament about generosity, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And so if you have a Bible, that's where we're going to be today, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. Um, And because it's a long uh, passage, Uh, what we're going to try to do is um, I'm just going to try to give an overview for what's happening in the passage. And then we're going to talk about um, a principle that we can learn from this passage and some implications that it has for us. All right. So if you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is where we'll be. If you uh, need a Bible, there's one provided for you there um, in the seat. Um, It's on page 1027 in that Bible. And if you're new to the Bible, uh, the big numbers are chapters, the small numbers are verses. And so that's what we mean by uh, chapter 8. So here's what's happening in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Um, The person writing this is named Paul. He was a pastor and missionary, and he would travel around to a lot of different cities in the Roman Empire, and um, he would start churches. And a church is just a, a, a group of people who follow Jesus. That's all a church is. And so he would start uh, churches. And one of the things that he was doing in all of those different stops is collecting money. What he, he calls it the collection 
in Romans chapter 15 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the collection. And the collection that he was doing amongst these churches throughout the Roman Empire was a collection of resources to take back to uh, poor Christians in the city of Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem, um, that's where the church originally started. You can read about that in Acts chapter two. Um, But the message of Jesus began to spread throughout the Roman Empire. But as it spread, it went to places that were oftentimes um, more, uh, they were, How am I trying to say this? They were more wealthy. That's how I could say it. Um, It would spread to cities and to churches where there were wealthier people than there were in Jerusalem. And a lot of the Christians who were in Jerusalem actually really struggled financially and they were living in poverty. And so one of the things that um, Paul agreed to do, and he agreed to this with Peter and James and John, and you can read about this in Galatians chapter two, Um, Paul agreed that as he went to the Gentiles or non-Jewish people in all of these different cities throughout the Roman empire, that something that he would do is remember the poor in Jerusalem. And so he's collecting money throughout all of these different churches in order to take it back to poor Christians in Jerusalem. So that's the context for what he's referring to in second Corinthians eight and nine. And he had been to Corinth And when he was in Corinth the first time, the church had agreed to give money towards this collection. And now Paul is writing to them to remind them to actually do what they said they would do. He's gently reminding them to to not just have promised that they'll be generous, but to actually be generous, to actually do it. And so that's the reason that he's writing to them. And then he tells them that, He's actually going to be sending this group of people to collect the money. And so they need to be ready because if they're not ready, then Paul's going to be embarrassed and they're going to be embarrassed because this group of people is on the way to get the money. And so, hey, uh, you guys should have the money. That's what he's saying. And then he gives a reason for why these people are coming as we want to be above reproach. We don't want to Uh, You know, we're collecting all of this money. We want to make sure that um, there are multiple eyes on it so that you don't think that somebody's trying to steal your money. Um, And so that's why the group of people's coming. And so then he just encourages them, do what you said you're going to do and give the money. So that's the context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Does that make sense? But here's what's interesting about all of that. So does Paul want them to give? Yes, That's why he's writing them. That's why he went and asked them to give before. That's why he's been collecting all this money. But here's what's interesting is a couple of different times, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. He says, I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. He says, I want you to give, but I'm not commanding you to give. You're not obligated to give to this, but I want you to. He says in chapter nine, verse seven, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. He wants them to give, but he says, but you're not obligated to give. This isn't a command. Now, why does he say that? 
Is Paul afraid of issuing commands? No, he issues a lot of them. Throughout this letter and throughout all of his letters, he issues a lot of commands. He's not requiring generosity, but he is expecting them to be generous. And this reveals an important principle about generosity. And that's this. The generosity is ultimately about what's in your heart. Generosity is about what's in your heart. Why doesn't he command them to give a certain amount? He says at other times, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. Why not command them to give? Pastor Tim Keller has an interesting observation about this. He says, the difference between adultery and greed, the opposite of generosity, they're both sins, but with greed, there's no definite external behavioral referent for it. There's no definite external behavioral referent for greed. Here's what he's, what, what does that mean? He's saying there's a difference between greed and adultery in this, that most of the time, you know, if you're committing adultery, you're like, oh, was this adultery? Oh, man, sorry. <laughs> you know, but with greed, how do you know? Why didn't he write and say, give 10% to this collection? What would be wrong with that? Well, the problem is generosity is, it's not really an amount. It's more a matter of the heart. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a thing called the tithe. A tithe is when you give 10% of your resources to God and to the work that God is doing. And in the New Testament, there's not a clear command to tithe, but Jesus does speak about the tithe favorably. But in Luke chapter 11, when he's speaking favorably about this principle of giving 10%, he also still condemns people who were giving 10%. He looks at the Pharisees and he says, you guys tithe even your spices. You get a new thing of salt and you pour it out on the table and you ration off 10% and make sure you're going to donate that 10% to God. That's how serious you take the command to tithe. And yet you've still neglected the poor. It's not about an amount. It's about your heart. Jesus was saying, and so Jesus rebukes them. The tithe, 10% is an excellent guideline, but it's not a guarantee of generosity. What matters is your heart. Think about that. It's possible to give a tithe for all kinds of reasons that would not actually be generous. 
You could give a tithe to gain a good reputation with people. Well, if I give, then somebody will know that I'm doing that. It's in my name. And then, look at me. You could give because you want more of a voice within a certain organization. You make a donation to this cause or to this thing, and now I have an opinion that matters. Well, that's fine, but that's different than generosity because the motivation is different. You could give a tithe because you want God's love. And you think in order for God to be pleased with me, I have to give something. And so you live your whole life giving as a way of now you've got something you can show God for why he should accept you. Or you could give a tithe because you've heard somebody preach on Malachi. And if you give, then God will give more to you. And it becomes this prosperity thing where because I give, then God gives greater stuff to me. And so one of the ways for me to build my wealth is to give some of it to God and then he'll bless me. Do you see how that's still not really about being generous? It's not really about a heart that wants to do something for someone besides you. It's really still about you. And this is why generosity is a matter of the heart, not a matter of an amount. Another reason that a tithe may not actually be generous is because a tithe might cost you very little. In Luke 21, Jesus says, looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Which one actually cost more? And so a tithe can actually cost you very little, depending on your income. And does that make you generous? To give an example of this, Paul tells the Corinthians, who was a wealthy church, he tells them about the Macedonians. These are the verses that were just read in verses, uh, in chapter eight, verses one through five. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Now, here's what's interesting about that little verse. And this happens throughout chapter eight and nine. The word grace, he's saying, God is actually at work in the lives of the Macedonians to produce this. See, God's grace doesn't just save us from our sins. It also trains us for good works. And one of the good works that God's grace trains us for is generosity. 
And the Macedonians are an example of that. He says, we want you to know about the grace of God among them. Verse two, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, something really bad had happened to the Macedonian church. Churches. Even during that trial, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Even though they were going through something really hard and they were really poor, they were also really full of joy. And so they still gave. Verse three, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. This poor group of churches was eager. They were motivated. They had joy to give, even though they actually had very little. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. He's saying, They weren't doing this because we were twisting their arm. They were doing it because they wanted to serve God, not just us. And what this does not mean is that the Macedonian churches were giving away all their money and now they're going to be a burden on everybody else. It's like, well, they probably should have gone through Financial Peace University before giving all that money away to the, you know, thing or whatever. What it does mean is that they were giving sacrificially. They have their own needs, but when they saw the needs of others, they still chose to give. Paul says, that's what generosity looks like. It's not an amount. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of sacrifice. It's a matter of it cost me. It's a matter of I gave and it actually stung a little bit, but there was joy in it because because of what's in me that's overflowing. Because of the grace of God that's in me, there's joy that overflows into a wealth of generosity. Here's what all this means. Here's what I'm trying to help you see is that our generosity should be joyful. We should want to give and be eager to give because of the love that's inside of us. Paul says in verse eight, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. He says this again, Uh, in verse 24, he says, therefore show them proof before the churches of your love. Generosity is coming from the heart. It's coming from a place of love. So we should want to give and be eager to give because of love that's inside of us. We should be joyful in our generosity. And if we're not, What does that mean? What does it mean if I'm supposed to give because I want to, not because it's 
a requirement. I'm supposed to give because I want to. I'm supposed to give out of joy. Um, the key verse that everybody kind of memorizes is uh, chapter 9, verse 7. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful just means joyful. It's joy is bubbling up in me and it just overflows in generosity. What does it mean if I don't feel that way? Paul is not giving us an excuse here not to be generous. If we lack that kind of joy and eagerness in giving, that's not an excuse not to give. It's a concern about our hearts. That should bother us. Wait a minute. Why do I not feel that way about my money? Why am I not eager to give? That should bother us. That should concern us. That should be a red flag to pay attention to. If we are struggling with joyful generosity, it means that greed rather than love is what's really controlling our hearts. It means that greed rather than love is what's really control, controlling our hearts. And Jesus said, be on guard, Luke chapter 12, be on guard against all greed or all covetousness. That is wanting more for myself and even wanting what you have. Be on guard against that, Jesus said, why? Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Real life, and that is happiness, security, significance, you feeling like you matter, you feeling like the future is safe. Real life does not consist in having more stuff. And greed can be a very subtle thing. This week, um, Courtney asked me to pour her a glass of orange juice. And I was already pouring myself a glass of orange juice and we were low on orange juice. And so I poured them into a cup and I tried to be somewhat even. But then as I looked to see which one had more, let me tell you what I felt and thought. I'm going to give her this one that has less and she won't even know. That's what I thought. That is greed. There's something in us that's just like, I want more. My life will be better if I have more. I need more. Jesus says, guard against that because that is not true. Instead, We ought, rather than allowing our hearts to be controlled by greed, our hearts should be governed. They should be ruled by love, which overflows in generosity. So how do we grow a heart of generosity? If you're supposed to have this desire 
and you don't, what should you do? What's the remedy? Two things. There's a lot of things we probably could say, but there's two things that we see in this text. At least two things. First, is to know the generosity of God. To know the generosity of God. Now, this is a series that's not about guilt. It's a series about grace. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, he's really trying to make me feel guilty that I don't give enough. Um, that's not the goal, really. The goal is I want you to see the grace of God and the grace of God will do the work for me of making you be generous. Do you know the generosity of God? Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. This is the memory verse for the week. If you're following along on the memory guide thing. He says, I'm not saying this as a command. I'm testing, testing the genuineness of your love. Four, here's why. Here's why I don't have to command this, Paul says. Verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's going to explain something that you already know, but he's going to do it in economic terms. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That is the gospel. Do you know the generosity of God? Where do you look to see the generosity of God? You look at the manger and you look at the cross. That's where you look. You look at the manger and you look at the cross. Jesus was given to the world. Think about that. Your birth cannot be described as being given in the same way that his can. Do you know why? Because Jesus existed before he got here. He was rich. Philippians 2 says he was equal with God. But he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, something to be grasped, to pull himself up. Though he was rich, he became poor. How did he become poor? He became a human being. He took on the likeness of humanity. He went to a manger. He was born. And why did he do that? Why do that? He's rich. He doesn't have to do that. Why not send an angel to do that? Send somebody else to do that. Why? It says, for your sake. 
for your sake. If Jesus doesn't say yes to the manger, then you and I are still in our sins. The kind of savior that we need is one who is truly human and truly God. And that kind of savior is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. So he says yes to the manger for your sake. And he says yes to the cross for your sake. If Jesus doesn't go to the cross and die in the place of sinners, the righteous for the unrighteous, if he doesn't suffer loss, if he doesn't use his wealth and spend it, then we go down eternally in shame. Then we go down eternally in judgment. But Jesus though he was rich for your sake became poor by going to a manger and going to a cross for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. That is the generosity of God. He wants for you to be rich. And what does he mean by that? What is the wealth that you get with God in Christ? I was hesitant to show all these verses because it's a lot. But then I was like, you know what? Just tell him how generous he is. This is what God has done. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Blessed, that is, praise be to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why should we praise him? Because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ Jesus. In Christ, there is nothing left for God to give you. All things will be yours in Christ. It's Romans chapter eight. Don't have time for that today. Verse four, here's some of the stuff he's given us. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. That is an act of generosity because we are not holy and blameless before him without Christ. But in Christ, we get to be holy and blameless before God. And that all came through what Christ did by coming to the manger and going to the cross. Verse five, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He made us part of his family. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Verse seven, in him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. 
He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. That is, he told us about what he's doing in the world and he's doing this plan, verse 10, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Verse 11, in him, we also received an inheritance, a wealth, a treasure, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Verse 13, in him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession, until we can finally get the full thing, we've got the Holy Spirit to the praise of his glory. This is what God has done for us. I had a Sunday school teacher growing up who said, Ephesians 1 reads like the reading of the will. Here's what you get in Christ. That's part of the wealth that he's talking about. Peter says the same thing. First Peter chapter one. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying the same thing that Paul was saying. Praise God. Why? Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse four, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This inheritance that we have in Christ, the riches that we have in Christ are imperishable. That is, there's no decay. You don't lose it when you die. Build up a huge collection of baseball cards and guess what's going to happen to them someday? They're going to be useless. Build up some huge, massive, you know, portfolio and guess what's going to happen to it someday? It's going to be worthless, but that's not how this inheritance is. And we get it in Christ. Irenaeus of Lyons says, Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. And that is the point of this verse. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, you might become rich. By thinking about that, and I literally mean that, by, by meditating, by thinking, by dwelling on that fact, just see if generosity doesn't start to bubble up inside of you. Let me tell you what I'm not thinking about when I'm trying to decide if I'm going to cheat my wife some orange juice. I'm not thinking about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Generosity starts to make sense when you consider the grace of God, when you consider the generosity of God. So if we want to grow a generous heart, we have to start by knowing the generosity of God. Do you? When you think about God, 
Are you overcome by how generous he's been? Here's the second thing that we can do to grow a heart of generosity. Number two is get a vision for the harvest that your generosity can produce. Get a vision for the harvest that your generosity can produce. Um, Look at chapter nine, verse six. Paul says, the point is this. The person who sows sparingly, who gives a little bit, will also reap sparingly, will reap a little bit. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Now, what is the harvest that he's referring to? Is he saying, if you give a little bit, you'll get a lot more money back? I'm sorry, I said that the wrong way, but you know what I'm saying. Is he saying, if, I, if you give a lot, you'll get a lot more back. And if you only give a little, you only get a little back. Is that what he's saying? Or is it something else that's reaped through generosity? Look at verse 10. Now he the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your what? Righteousness. The word righteousness here is in the context of Psalm 112 because he quotes Psalm 112 in verse 9. And in this context, the word righteousness refers not just to morality or doing good stuff. It refers to right relationships. People relating to one another like they should. It's righteousness is restoring peace. It's the idea. It's a similar thing taught in James chapter three. Um, And so one pastor says it like this, that generosity can actually be a means of healing the world. We're restoring relationships as we give. And Paul explains what that looks like in verses 11 through uh, 14. He says, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces, and here's the, the harvest, of righteousness, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. The reason Paul says through us is because he's going to be the one passing on the money and passing on the news about the Corinthians generosity. So what's going to happen is people are going to give thanks to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, so not only is giving money to this cause going to help them with the material needs that they have, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. That is, more people are coming to worship God, praise God, give thanks to God, turn their hearts' attentions to God because of your generosity. Verse 13, because of the proof provided by this ministry, that is this offering that you're going to give, this collection that Paul's going to receive, they will glorify God 
for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. You see what he's saying? What is the harvest that will be produced from generosity? It's more people thanking God and more people knowing and rejoicing in the gospel. Our generosity makes it possible not only to meet needs, which is important, but also it makes it possible for a harvest of righteousness to happen. For more and more people to worship God, to praise God, to cherish the generosity of God. We call that the gospel. And in doing so, as more and more people begin to cherish the grace of God, to cherish the gospel, it's going to result in more and more generosity, which is just going to result in more and more transformation. So that eventually families and neighborhoods and workplaces and all societies are going to be transformed. So what should we do about this? If you know the generosity of God and you begin to get a vision for what, his, what God will accomplish through our generosity for the harvest that he will reap, what should we do? The answer is we should give. Where should you give and how much should you give? I don't know. Something someone shared with me once, I think I've shared this with you once before maybe, is we should give from a grateful heart and a broken heart to work that advances the gospel. We should give from a grateful heart and a broken heart. That is, is there any ministry you're particularly grateful for because of the work that they're doing? Maybe that's a place you should give. Is there any ministry addressing needs that you're particularly burdened or broken by? Maybe that's a place you should give. I hope that the local church could be this kind of place. I hope that Highlands Community Church is a place that you can be grateful for because of the work that's happening in your life as a result of being part of this community and the work that's happening in our community. And on a day like today, we're featuring the work around the world that's happening through your generosity to this community. I hope that we can be the kind of place that you're grateful for. And I hope that we're addressing needs that you also feel broken by. I hope that you can give to our church because you're grateful and you also are broken by what we're broken by. Ultimately, what we're broken by is the sin that exists in our own hearts. And the solution to that sin is the grace of God. 
It's what the banks of sin cannot contain. So I hope that the church is a place that you can give. But if it's not, then two thoughts, and I say this with, with sincerity and also because I, I care about you. If the local church that you're a part of is not the kind of place that you feel you could give to, maybe you should go to a church where you can in good conscience give. Like rather than me try to sell you on like how great Highlands is and how much you should believe in what we're doing, like find a place that you can believe in if you struggle with giving here. That doesn't hurt our feelings. We actually want that for you. If you have questions about where our money goes and all of that, you can come to the members meeting tonight and we're going to give a financial report. And we do that, we're starting to do that multiple times a year just so we can make sure that you can get those kinds of questions answered. And you don't have to wait till the members meeting to get those kinds of questions answered. You can just approach one of our elders after the service by the wall and we'll set up a time to talk and talk through the budget with you. So where should you give? I don't know. I, I think, I hope that a local church can be a place that you can give, but it's not necessarily limited to a local church that you might give. Second question everybody likes to ask is how much should you give? And again, I don't have an answer because it's not an amount. It's about generosity. And so here are three P's of giving that I've found helpful. I think I've shared these with you once before as well. Three P's of giving. First, priority giving. When determining how much to give, you should first start with deciding how much you're going to give. So that should be the first line item in the budget. If you wait until the end to see what's left over after you've spent money on everything else, it's always going to be a smaller amount. So priority giving starts with what should you give. The benefit of this is if you give first, you may actually cut some expenses that you don't really need. So priority giving, that's the first thing to consider as you think about. The second is percentage giving. Percentage giving. I think it's helpful, again, it's not required from the New Testament, but I think it's helpful to think about a percentage of your income that you're going to give. The reason is that's objective. It objectifies what you're going to give. It's not just, well, what do we have this month? Or, well, what, what do we feel like this month? It actually objectifies, here's the number we're going, to, we're going to try to organize our finances around. I think a tithe is still a good principle The reality is that God owns everything. And I think, um, here's my concern, is Paul doesn't tell us how much the Macedonians gave in the beginning of chapter eight. He just says that they were giving sacrificially. And that may look different depending on your stage of life and depending on what's going on in your life. And so pick a percentage, but I want to be careful not to dictate what that percentage ought to be. So priority giving, percentage giving, here's the third P, is progressive giving. Progressive giving. Here's what I mean by that. If you are in a position where 
your standard of living can increase. If you're in a position where you're making more than you once did, then trust God with more. Then give more. Um, here are some questions that you can ask yourself. Is the, amount, is the amount that you're giving requiring faith from your part? Is it requiring faith? Is the amount that you're giving protecting you from, the, from believing the lie that life consists in the abundance of possessions? Some of you may have been giving one percentage for a long, long time, and maybe it's time to try bumping that up by one percentage. But again, the point is not the amount. The point is your heart. Is your heart one that's full of love and love that plays out in sacrifice? Let's be a generous people because we have a generous God. Let me pray for us. Father, we do praise you for your generosity. There's nothing more for heaven to give us. God, I pray that you would help us to be generous in this. Help us to be generous with our finances. Help us to be generous, though, with our lives. Pray that your spirit would train us for this. It's in Jesus' name that I ask. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?